Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Today, we've got a lot coming on today's program. It's a Monday, so we're going to start with a look at the markets. Jacob Burks, a hedge strategist with agmarket.net, will join us in just a moment. Before segment two, we're going to check in on weather. John Baranek of DTN Weather will be joining us. In segment three, we're going to revisit our conversation on geopolitical unrest with John Hulfman. And then finally, we're going to close out the show with a big announcement from Washington, D.C. last Friday, E15 Ethanol has been approved for summer sale. Troy Breedenkamp, the Senior Vice President of Government and Policy, Public Policy at the Renewable Fuels Association, will join us at the end of the show to celebrate that announcement from their perspective. Before we dive into all of that, let's turn our focus to the commodity markets. And as we take a look down the screen, there is a, a lot of red, frankly, in the commodity markets today. Joining us for an update on what is happening here is Jacob Burks. He serves as a hedge strategist for agmarket.net up in Wisconsin. And Jacob, tell us, what are traders nervous about here to start the week? I think you uh, the first thing that you have to look at is the, some of the news over the week and how these outside markets and how this uh, banking industry you know could fall into to place with the grains, uh, livestock both. So I think that was the you know the headlines over the weekend. I put a little bit of pressure on the market here coming in. If you look at what we did on Friday last Friday, you know we saw some uh, we, we saw some decent uh, recovery if you would if you want to if you want to call it that, uh, but some decent closes off some technical support and. Uh, coming uh, coming through Friday, it felt like we were going to see okay, maybe we've found some type of stabilization. Uh, you see the weather reports coming in, and you know, looking at this week uh, being a very good week uh, to get a lot of field work done across a big swath of the uh, of the upper part of the the grain belt. That's true, Jacob. You know, you mentioned the banking issues or the headlines in that industry that are moving the markets. We saw First Republic, a large regional bank, get taken over by the FDIC over the weekend. And what does that have traders nervous about with regard to the commodity markets? Is this just more concern of economy disruption? I think you nailed it right there. Uh, it's economy disruption. I mean, when you when you lay it all out, this this can spot a web in many different ways as how that affects everything. Uh, first and foremost is is what does the Fed do this week, uh, uh, Wednesday? If are they going to raise interest rates again? Uh, are they going to, uh, you know, maybe halt that? Uh, you know, the possibility seems like it could be out there now. Uh, if they halt that uh, interest rate hike, does that does that allow for a little bit more inflation uh, to to stabilize some of these bonds? Uh, and could that be something that the, that the commodity market uh, at least uh, you know, takes a breath on and, and create, puts some of that, that inflation back into this commodity market? But I think the fear of the unknown is always there, right? And when you start seeing uh, uh, large banks uh, have, have problems, how does that, uh, you know, the, does that, how does that affect our uh, economic system? Probably more so into the, into the livestock than, uh, than the grains, actually. Okay. Well, let's circle back then on the grains, Jacob, because you brought up the livestock market. You, of course, keep track on what's developing there, and it has been a fascinating market over the past three weeks. Last week, what did we see in the cash cattle trade? Is that rally still going, or are we starting to uh, to slow down in this cattle rally? Well, from Thursday to Friday, it looked like we did have a little bit of a pullback. We had some, some higher trades up north in, uh, in the cash market uh, with a pullback in, into, Friday, into Friday. So, uh, you know, we it did not affect the futures market as much, uh, uh, but you, you continue that trend uh, that is still is still on on an upward you know scale. Uh, and, and whenever you look at uh, you know going into April, going off the board, everything when there's a large discount between that that cash market and that June, but there's also 30 days to trade it too. So I don't think the, that uh, any type of panic mode where we're going to see that starting to come together quickly. Uh, I think that the, these outside markets right now are probably what the the, the, the futures market is is focused on, uh, and, and if Lee can continue to, uh, you know, not uh, not have some type of major uh, you know debacle going on, uh, and I think the other thing that you'll start to focus on too in this uh, this cattle trade is what does the what what do we see with unemployment when you start to see that you know tip over, uh, then that's usually whenever you start seeing some major uh, disruptions in your in your meat and your protein buying. 
Absolutely. Now that the big break we've got between those April fats, the June and August fats, Jacob, that makes it tough to get hedges on considering we've got a $10 break between those. Given that we've got June here at 165-ish, is this a time to get some hedges on for those summer cattle or do you let this thing ride? Maybe let this bank headline fade into the rear view. Well, when, when you look at the cattle feeders, they think it has to go higher to catch the cash and uh, just the opposite whenever you're uh, you're sitting there with the, as, as a but I think the first thing that you can do is you can put yourself into some strategies here to make sure that that major debacle doesn't happen. We still have that gap back down around that 160 area. And so I think that's a big fear if you're if you're holding a pin of cattle that don't have anything underneath it. I think that's where some, you should be looking to at least make sure you got protection down to there. Uh, but you can leave the, you know, leave the top side open a little bit and, and assume that, uh, you know, there's still the, 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 we didn't add a lot of cattle here. Uh, now, the placement's kind of moved around. We saw in that cattle on feed last week. Uh, but realistically, there, there's still that opportunity to keep this momentum moving at a higher pace. And I think that as a producer, you're in a, in a feeder, you should be you know, looking at that opportunity to, to capture some of that. But I would definitely be looking at some strategies to put uh, some type of floor underneath this market. Manage that risk when we're up at record setting prices, folks. That risk is also record setting. I want to turn the focus, if we can, Jacob, back to the grain markets. We're seeing continued weakness in that Kansas City wheat market. I know we had some rains over that part of the country this last year, but how much of that wheat still has life in it to grow back after a rain? Uh, well, some of it's zeroed out. You know, when you, the further west you go in Kansas, uh, there there is uh, you know there's no chance. Uh, it's it's tilled under. It's planted in corn. Uh, so I think that you you do have to uh, you know see, you know as far as pressure goes in the wheat market you know we're always going to be the the world reserve of wheat and and whenever you're starting to see you know prices deflate all over the the, the globe uh, that's you know that becomes a major problem as well but when you when you look at the the domestic uh, the ability to grow this wheat I mean where it's getting catching rains it looks good I drove through some this weekend uh, in, in the eastern part of the the Kansas and and it you know it looked good. And, and guys are pretty excited about what they can have come out of there. And you know, you got to remember, we did plant uh, significantly amount more, so uh, you know, it had a wider reach to catch some of those rains. Oh, that's a really good point. The geographic spread of winter wheat was much larger this year than it's been in a lot of recent years. Jacob, we're, we're turning that focus to planting progress. Of course, we'll get the update from the USDA later this uh, later this afternoon. What's your expectation here for farmer progress heading into this week? Do you think we turned some soil last year last week? Uh, you know, it's and that's that's a that's a, such a hard one to guess. Uh, I do think we're probably in the, the the USDA will probably print the 22 area, 24 to you know 20 to 24 is I think the the range of guesses. I'm I'm looking on the on the higher side of that, and, and it's just kind of my bias of who I've talked to in the different geographic areas over the last week and what they've gotten done. Uh, it seems like if you go south of I-74, they're done. Uh, you know, everybody else north of there is probably feels like they're behind. Uh, this is a huge week, I think, as you start to see the the mid uh, the upper uh, part of the Corn Belt and the and the Minnesotas and the Dakotas uh, give get a little bit of a break, uh, and, and and dirt should start uh, moving and flying around there up there, and uh, you know they've got a they got a month to put it in, and, and so I think that <clears throat> this week looks like it's a pretty good strong week, and then as you get into the fifth, uh, the sixth, the ten day forecast, you're probably looking at a little bit uh, more uh, struggle to get that done. I think that is something the trade is going to be watching. We'll talk with John Baran about the weather forecast coming up. We've been speaking with Jacob Burks of agmarket.net. Jacob, thanks for joining us today. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. 
The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA your day today. You know, we just spoke with Jacob Burks there about the markets. And one of the things the markets are keeping a very close eye on this time of year continues to be the weather. Joining us now for an update on what to expect in the forecast ahead is meteorologist John Baranek of DTN Weather. And John, your latest headline is that temperatures are expected to rise this week. That'll be welcome news across the Corn Belt. Who all is going to see the warm up? Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right here, Mike. Everything's going to kind of trend uh, pretty good here for most of the, uh, of the areas uh, of the U.S. and also up into Canada. If you're in Montana or in the Western Canadian prairies, you already started seeing that warm up here over the weekend, and that's just going to kind of slowly progress its way eastward here this week. We did see um, a system kind of develop into this giant bowling ball across the, the Great Lakes, and there's still some showers around there and some cool temperatures with that trough. Uh, that developed, um, and it'll take a couple of days to get that out of the way. But once we get towards the middle of the week, we should start to see a gradual uh, increase in temperatures out there as well. So everything is trending towards uh, some good planting conditions here this week, um, but that will come with some showers as well. So um, we do have this other trough of low pressure kind of off the West Coast right now. Um, so it kind of digs in deeper here this week. We'll start to see some showers popping up in the southwestern plains. Of course, they got some really good rainfall last week. Um, and it uh, looks like they'll get a little bit more here this week as well. And as the, the week progresses, as we get towards Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we'll start to see some of those um, showers really kind of um, spread out through, through the plains. We'll see a system kind of develop out of that too and, and kind of move through over the weekend uh, across the Midwest. So uh, we will get some showers out of it, but the temperatures come first. And uh, that that's some good news, especially across the north where it's been so cold for so long um, that we'll finally see some planters uh, rolling up there, I believe. 
Well, John, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, we've talked about the flood risk, of course, and the ongoing snow across the Red River Valley and so many parts of the Northern Plains. And what has snow depth done here over the past two weeks there in the Northern geographies? Has Have we made a pretty substantial dent? Oh, it's almost gone. Um, as far as what I'm seeing on satellite pictures, it looks like it's, it is actually gone and it's probably just some lakes uh, that are still frozen over a bit. Some of the bigger lakes, um, why I'm seeing some, some icy patches. So I think it's, it's pretty much gone and we're, we should be pretty much exposed, um, which is good news. So as long as we keep the sun around, which it looks like it'll be around for the next few days and uh, these increasing temperatures in the fifties, sixties, even seventies, in some cases here up in the Dakotas and in Minnesota, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a good time, um, to warm up those soil temperatures and get out and plant, especially for wheat. Right. Especially for wheat. Well, thinking about the wheat crop, John, I want to, I want to throw the Kansas city wheat crop first. You mentioned those plains, that bowling ball system is currently sitting over the great lakes, developed some moisture across the Southern plains. How much did they actually see this past week there in the, the bullseye of that drought territory? Was it inches of rain or hundreds of rain go, fall on the ground down there? Yeah, I mean, it was actually a pretty widespread area of inches of rain. If you look at uh, southeastern Colorado through southwest Kansas and then through Oklahoma, parts of Texas, um, there was a lot of one to twos and some areas of threes and fours in there. It's kind of the biggest rain event they've seen in maybe two years um, down there. So it, it was absolutely significant. And that was followed up by another um, uh, burst of rain that came down with a cold front uh, Thursday night, Friday, that brought another half inch to kind of the, the panhandles of Oklahoma and Texas. So just about everywhere down there got at least a little bit and, and some rather significant. Now, of course, the drought is so deep and this isn't really going to affect it too much. We're still in drought conditions, but, you know, uh, getting a couple of inches of, of moisture on that soil is, is um, just a, a blessing to all those folks down there. It is, even if it's not going to be do so much for some of that zeroed out wheat, getting that those pasture conditions back into some greenness might help down in that part of the world. John, one of the other concerns as we look back to the north continues to be flooding, notably along the Mississippi River, several other tributaries with the snow gone in the northern plains. What's the forecast look like for that flooding? Are our river towns going to catch a break here? Is it going to dry out? Yeah, it looks like a lot of the, the Mississippi River, at least the northern part of it's already crested. Um, it's It should be getting down towards kind of the Iowa, Illinois border region. Um, you know, this week should be cresting. So everything is, is trending in the, in the in the right direction. Uh, there was some significant flooding um, and, and has been, but, you know, it's it's kind of at least maintained itself to near uh, the, the main river system. So it hasn't been you know, widespread flooding, nothing like we saw in, in like 93 or 96 or, um, you know, any of those uh, major flood events. But um, th it, we have seen some of it, and I know it's um, uh, causing some troubles there, you know, getting uh, barges up and down the river too. So, um, you know, that's going to stick around for a little bit here. Uh, and it's always a slow process, especially on the Mississippi, just because it's so large. Um, but it is trending in the right direction. Well, that is good news, John. So you mentioned we're going to see temps rising across the northern plains, potential shot of moisture there in that territory as well. Let's look farther east. Eastern Corn Belt, they have had ample moisture so far this season. Is that going to continue as we uh, look into this next week? Well, we get some uh, continued showers here today and tomorrow, and it is cold enough where some of this is going to be mixed with snow. We've already seen that um, over eastern Wisconsin here this morning uh, as a kind of pinwheels itself through Michigan and Northern Ohio, Northern Indiana, we may see that mixing in as well. I don't know if it's going to be a whole lot of accumulation, but you know, it's, it's just a reminder that it's, that's a, it's a pretty big ball of cold air. Um, and if some of this cloud cover thins out overnight and some of the wind dies down, uh, we may still be talking about some frost in these areas here for the next couple of mornings. Um, so other than that though, um, the precipitation uh, is not totally, uh, heavy here over the next couple of days. Um, so they'll be drying out here later this week. And then that system that kind of moves its way through the plains here this week and will move through the, uh, the eastern half of the Corn Belt here, either Sunday, Monday, Tuesday kind of time frame. So uh, we'll see additional showers and thunderstorms moving through there. Um, TBD on how much rain actually occurs with that, models are all over the place. And now that we're talking a lot more about thunderstorms, that's going to be the case here going forward too. So, uh, But the coverage at least looks pretty good on it. Um, so keeping soils uh, relatively moist, if you've got uh, your crop in the ground already, should be uh, should be getting some good moisture. 
All right. We'll continue to keep an eye on that, John. Temperatures, you mentioned the warm-up is happening this week. Once this warm-up moves through, are we going to be back to consistent average, maybe above average temperatures? Will summer finally arrive, or at least spring? I think, and I don't quote me on this because the meteorologists are always wrong when they make bold predictions. Um, but if uh, it looks like this is the end of our really chilly air. So um, everything's kind of turning out to by mid-month kind of have this background ridge of high pressure. And that usually means near or warmer than normal temperatures and all these little small disturbances moving through every so often. So instead of these big systems that pull down a bunch of cold air from Canada, we should get some more of these uh, smaller systems that don't change temperatures too much, um, but do provide, you know, occasional moisture. So um, I think everything's uh, really looking good here for the month of May. I mean, if, if our temperatures stay up and it looks like they will, uh, and we still get, you know, fairly frequent moisture as long as we can get the seed in the ground, which I, I don't think that's going to be a problem here this month, um, that everything should be in good footing for really a lot of the country. And that even includes some of these drought areas here in the southwestern plains. Um, uh, you know, we're seeing some of this uh, activity hit these areas as well, not just last week, but it looks like this week, it looks like next week um, has another good chance of it too. Um, so everything's kind of again, trending in a positive direction across much of the country's growing areas. All right, John, before we let you go, that corn crop in Brazil is working towards maturity. Is the forecast favorable for that crop down there? Well, they still, they got planted a little bit late, so they still want to pick up some rain down there. Um, unfortunately for the center of Brazil, those wet season showers basically ended. Their, their wet season's done, which is typical for this time of year anyway, so it's not something they're not used to. Uh, but there is a front that's going to hang up over southern Brazil and Paraguay here uh, for the next several days, really, and just continuously bring showers. doesn't really hit much of their corn crop, but it is hitting a bunch of their wheat growing areas. And they're planting or already have planted some of their, their winter wheat. And so um, the rain's definitely going to be helpful for that um, out there. We'll have to see where this front moves or if it, if it kind of sinks back south into Argentina, like the European model wants to do, or kind of move a little bit farther north, like the, the American model wants to do. Um, but uh, overall, things are, are, are looking good for wheat and things are kind of, you know, where they should be for corn. Um, the only thing we need to worry about here for the Safrina corn crop is potential for some colder air and some frost that move through. Um, we still got about another month and a half uh, to go for, for being concerned about that. So We'll have to keep our eyes on it, but nothing in the in the short term is popping up in that regard. All right, John, that's a great point. We've got a month and a half here where weather concerns are going to be on the market side, both in North America as the American farmers try to get their crop in and in Brazil as those Brazilian farmers try to get that crop out. Folks, we've been talking today with John Baranek, meteorologist at DTN Weather. And John, thanks so much for joining us today. Always going to talk with you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Folks, stay here. We're going to talk in segment three with John Hulsman, geopolitical strategist. A conversation we had last week still worth discussing as these issues still percolate in the geopolitical scene. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer Camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, it's a fairly mixed trade as we start off the new month and the new week here on Monday with the soy complex a little bit higher, led by beans and bean oil, while wheat is under moderate pressure. The cord market also seeing a bit of spread action, trading mostly moderately to the downside. It's also Fed week on Wall Street. That will occupy the primary focus of traders until at least Wednesday afternoon when traders are finally able to hear more about the longer-term attentions of the central bank. The VIX fell to a nearly 18-month low below 16 on Friday, continues to trade just above that level here this morning. Wall Street fully expects one more rate hike from the Fed this week, followed by a pause before seeing a couple of rate cuts later this fall. In other words, Wall Street is convinced that we will see a pivot this year with the last of the rate hikes coming here this week, expecting a 25 basis point rate hike on Wednesday. We're going to be watching that closely, and we'll see how that affects the market trade. Now, Chinese markets are closed for holiday, but on Friday, July quarter, the Dalian Exchange posted a contract low as they expect large supplies from Brazil. This corn market trading slightly lower here under the bearish pressure from Brazil's expected record Safrita cord crop, which has good weather forecast for this week ahead. Wheat again trading lower. It's now the lowest it's been since July of 2021. Improving winter wheat crop ratings following last week's rains add to the pressure. At least that's what we are going to expect to see. A slight increase in an improvement in the ratings here later this afternoon. In the livestock trade, moderate pressure seen there, led by hogs with triple-digit losses creeping in. Cattle are down moderately. We may have found a short-term top here in this cattle market. Right now, corn mixed with old crop up slightly, new crop down 3 to 5, beans 3 to 8 higher, and the wheat market's mainly 8 to 12 lower. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We have been talking today in so many different ways about the impact of global events on American farmers' bottom lines. They certainly have an impact, and we've got three big ones developing right now. We've got the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war. We've got rising tensions between China and the United States all over Taiwan. And we've got embassy staff being evacuated from Sudan in Africa. What does all this mean? How much do we need to pay attention to this as agriculturalists? Well, joining us now for an update on these issues is geopolitical strategist John Holzman. He's a life member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and he's the host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be back, Mike. Let's start with our discussion here between Russia and Ukraine. You've been on that since the very beginning. Of course, you live in Europe. You keep up to speed with this issue. John, this war is still ongoing. How do you see it developing here over the next couple of, of months? Well, I, I think we're in for the long haul. I mean, as we said before, I mean, the first prediction my risk firm made at the beginning of the year is this is going to go on all year. And at the time, people said, no, no, no. Well, yes, yes, yes. The problem with this war is that both sides still think they can win. And as long as that's the case, the war will go on. The Russians have had a counteroffensive now for the last several months, and it's grinding to a halt. They've made very limited tactical gains around Bakhmut. Thousands of people died on each side. It's become kind of the Verdun of, of the situation. If you might notice, Mike, you don't see any pictures of the battlefield anymore because it's just like World War I. It's a series of trenches and artillery shells. 
and this is ground to a halt. And then just today, literally, it looks like the Ukrainians are about to give their counteroffensive, but it's unlikely to really punch through. There aren't enough Ukrainians, they don't have enough new weaponry, and they don't know how to use those weapons well enough. So frankly, we're in for a long stalemate. So that grind is continuing there on the front, John. Of course, I'm curious about what's happening on the home front in Europe. Western Europe has been gung-ho. They've all been locked together in supporting Ukraine. But now we're seeing some cracks as this Ukrainian grain creates domestic issues. From your perspective, how is the rest of Europe grappling with this ongoing war? Well, Mike, that's the right question, because the two things that are going to determine this are outside factors, the war fatigue in Russia and the war fatigue in both Europe and the United States, who are, after all, bankrolling the Ukrainians without the Europeans, and particularly without the United States, the lights simply wouldn't be on in Kiev. And so the war fatigue numbers are really important to watch. And they are, of course, it's occurring in our own country as well. The Republican Party now, slightly fewer than 50% think that continuing to fund Ukraine is worth it. That number has gone steadily down from about 75. And in countries, key countries in Europe, like Italy, like Germany, and like France, you're beginning to see an awful lot of fatigue set in. Uh, in polling, the Germans, if they could have the war end on the lines they are today and know that it was over, 75% of Germans would take it. The French, just over these last few weeks, when President Macron went to see Xi Jinping in China, he said that he would be very careful to be in neutral position with China and that, he, that really it was time to push for the war to end. So you do see fatigue really beginning to set in in the West. And again, the problem for Ukraine is there are just not enough Ukrainians. Almost everyone has been drafted up to the moment. And so whether they're going to have enough supplies and wherewithal to go forward or whether they're going to be forced to cut in a deal is really highly problematic. But it's going far less well for the Ukrainians than the mainstream media would have you believe. All right. So we'll continue to see that counteroffensive develop here over the coming days. John, I want to ask you about something the Russians have threatened a lot, which is pulling out of this Black Sea grain yeah. corridor, basically saying, all right, fine, we won't sell any of our wheat into the global market. Talking to American wheat producers, that I think might be a win. We could use the boosty pricing. But it sounds sure. like Russia still believes this is a compelling argument on the global scene. Who are they talking to with this argument? Well, what they're doing is particularly worrying the West because the people who would be dependent on Russian grain um, and also, by the way, Ukrainian grain um, are in North Africa, that the supply of grain in North Africa almost entirely comes from Ukraine and Russia. And in Egypt, for instance, they have only about a week's supply in reserve, none, in other words. And so the destabilized vast parts of the developing world ought to be relatively easy for Russia as a wrecking power. And so this is really the implied threat that to the developing world who are utterly dependent on grain. And in Egypt, I was just in Egypt in January, bread is the staple you know, of everybody. That's what you eat at breakfast. And without that there, that very, very quickly there would be a problem. In fact, the last time there was real dislocation in the price of bread, there was a revolution in Egypt. Um, and so the Russian threat is to be taken seriously. John, we've heard, I mentioned the evacuation of the embassy in Sudan. Of course, that's an African nation. No doubt they're connected to these grain flows. Is that a part and parcel of the issue in Sudan or, or how much of that Sudanese issue do we need to pay attention to here in the U.S.? We do. It's, it's not really caused things up to now, but it could be another explosion of risk afterwards. I mean, the main problem in Sudan is Libya to its north, which used to be run by a very nasty dictator named Omar Gaddafi. But the first rule of foreign policy is do no harm. And the West under Obama and particularly Western European leaders, particularly in Italy, wanted to get rid of Gaddafi. And so they did without ever asking the key foreign policy question, what comes next? And without Gaddafi, we've had anarchy. We've had Libya devolve into a series of warlords. At one point, ISIS actually had a base in southern Libya, but it's now devolved into, devolved into a series of warlords, one of whom, Mr. Haftar, has trained troops that are now destabilizing Sudan. And so the problem is always, if you have a bad guy in place, it, it's morally satisfying. It feels good to get rid of him, but it doesn't always mean doing good because what you do is store up chaos. And that's what's happened in Libya. And that chaos is now spreading into Sudan. And so getting rid of Gaddafi looks more and more of a disaster. Bad guy, though, he certainly was.
Okay, so we'll continue to watch that in Sudan to see if it does, in fact, spread to a wider area. But, John, I want to turn to the meat and potatoes, if we can, of foreign policy issues, I think, looking out into this year, year ahead. You mentioned the first rule of foreign policy, do no harm. Is that a rule we are heeding with these China-Taiwan discussions? The, the thing about it, and you're right, I mean, look, Mike, the key to the game is the Indo-Pacific. It's where most of the future economic growth of the world is going to be in this region from India through to China. And it's also where a lot of the political risk in the world is. And the United States is the dominant power in the region and has been since World War II, 1945. And we would like to keep it that way, but that only works if we bring allies on board because the Chinese more and more look covetously toward Taiwan. And if they were to take Taiwan, a number of horrible things would happen. One, they'd break out of the first island chain and their Navy could then sail into the blue waters of the Pacific and the Indian Ocean, and they could dominate the region, which is most important coming in the world. Two, most of the chips that are in our computers are made, high advanced industrial chips are made in Taiwan, something like 67 to 80% are made in Taiwan. We don't wanna give away the technological future of the world to Beijing. And third, if the United States was to lose credibility over Taiwan, you'd watch the rest of the region cut a deal with China. So Taiwan and the new Cold War between China and the United States, Taiwan is the new Berlin. It's where everything matters. John, how do you see this current tension resolving or, or intensifying? I suppose sounds like a likely answer here over the next several months. What do you foresee over there in that part of the world? world? Well, it, yes, Mike, it's going to get worse before it gets better. The key is if by around 2027, we've talked about everything being about timing, the new United States alliances, the quadrilateral initiative, which is an anti-Chinese alliance to stop their expansion, a mini NATO, if you will, comprising Australia, Japan, India, and the United States, exactly who you'd want to be in this group, and trading groups like the CPTPP, which we're not a member of, but the, it's a Japanese-led trading alliance in the region, it's going to take time for these things to settle in. And so the moment of maximum danger is between now and 2027. If we can deter China that long, then there's huge upside in the region. But if we don't deter China, this is the place in the world where World War III is most likely to break out. Oh, boy, that is a grim thought. John, we hear a lot about the U.S. response to China. Can you talk a little bit, how is China responding in-country to the U.S. efforts to limit chip imports into that country and these other contentions? Is it being discussed at the highest levels? Oh, it is. I mean, they've made a number of mistakes, and I think we make the mistake of always assuming our enemies are infallible, and yet the historical graveyard is littered with people who underestimated the United States, Kaiser Wilhelm, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, all of them. And Xi Jinping has made a number of mistakes and bullied people in the region. He bullied India in the Himalaya by taking territory. He bullied Australia over the origins of COVID. And as a result, the region is now closer to the United States, not because we're so great, but because we're not them, than it's been in a long time. And you see the Chinese beginning to change from this overly aggressive posture, which has driven the region into the arms of America, trying to be a more neutral posture because they see that what they've done hasn't worked up until now. This has provided the United States a little bit of breathing room to do things like put together the quadrilateral initiative, but we have to work an awful lot more with allies there to deter the Chinese so that we can stop them from grabbing from Taiwan and maintain the sense of order we have now. There's huge upside in this region, but again, it's the region of maximum peril. It is indeed. John, is the Chinese charm effects offensive working? Are they picking up new friends and allies on the geopolitical stage? Well, they are in the, in the Middle East more than in the Indo-Pacific. Their problem in the Indo-Pacific is people know their track record too well. And everybody in the region knows what they did in Hong Kong, crushing their students, what they're doing to the Uyghurs in Western China, the bullying of Taiwan, the bullying of Japan in the East China Sea, the bullying of India, as I've said, in Australia. It's very hard to undo that. And this is going to be the huge advantage the United States has, not our strengths, but the weaknesses of Xi Jinping. But in areas like the Middle East, where China's recently brokered a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia of everything, they are picking up allies in the broader uh, developing world, countries that want to be neutral between the United States and China. And this is something we've got to do better on. And this has been a problem since the days of Jack Kennedy. Keep your eyes on the world. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been speaking with John Holzman, host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. John, thanks for joining us today. Always fun, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA when we return.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800 
800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. As we prepare for this week ahead, it's time to reflect on some big news that came at the end of last week. American ethanol providers and consumers scored a win as the Biden administration issued an emergency waiver allowing E15 sales this <coughs> summer. Joining us now for a discussion of this issue is Troy Breedenkamp. He's the Senior Vice President for Government and Public Policy at the Renewable Fuels Association. Troy, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about this announcement, Troy. Is it functionally the same as the one we heard last year from this Biden administration? It really is, Mike. It is almost identical to last year, and the need for it is almost identical as well. Matter of fact, conditions that they look at in order to grant an emergency waiver for E15, which would be oil uh, production levels, uh, the amount of gasoline on on hand or 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 in the pipeline, um, all those numbers are actually lower this year than they were at the same time last year. So all the conditions warrant an emergency waiver for E15. It's unfortunate that we needed to go this route. We are still seeking, you know, a permanent uh, legislative solution, but. Short of that, uh, we needed this, and we thank President Biden, EPA Administrator Regan, and USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack. All three of those played a huge part in making sure that E15 is going to be available to consumers at the pump this summer. We can talk in just a minute, Troy, about the long-term need for for more stable legislation. But in the short term, one of the big changes in the emergency waiver this year versus last year is this year it's coming later than it did last year towards the the driving season. Is the industry prepared? Is Are the ethanol folks ready to, to grind and meet that E15 demand all summer long? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. Uh, we certainly have the supply available. You know, it would have been nice to hear this information a couple weeks ago. But really, it is just the marker that needs to be put out for the terminals to make sure that beginning today, uh, they have the fuel or continue to have the fuel available uh, throughout the summer driving season. So it really starts at that terminal level to make sure that they've got the the blend on hand uh, that they have been uh, uh, carrying for the last nine months. Um, So it's really just a continuation of what they have been doing rather than something new that that they have to put in the tank. Um, So good to have that information out there. Uh, May 1, June 1 is the start of the summer driving season. Um, Like I said, it would have been great to have this information a couple weeks ago, but we're still not too late and things should go uh, without a hiccup throughout the summer. All right, so here's where we stand today. We've got this E15 emergency waiver allowing sales to stay in place throughout the summer. Troy, what does this mean longer term? We've got a lot of different uh, legal cases and policy cases surrounding E15. With this emergency waiver, plus the, the EPA's announcement that E15 can be approved in 2024, can we now relax on E15 or could it still go away? Well, we should be able to have E15 all summer in 2023. Uh, you mentioned the the various court cases that are ongoing, um, and it does it, it is a little bit challenging just to keep up on kind of where things are at. The thing that would make all of this go away, Mike, is to get permanent uh, statutory change at the federal level. So we continue to look at the. Um, the Consumer and Fuel Retailer Choice Act that was introduced uh, a couple months ago by several of our Hill champions, that would be the legislation that would resolve this issue long-term. It would treat every uh, blend of ethanol as it does E10 from an RVP waiver perspective, so everyone would be treated the same from E10 all the way up. Uh, That's what needs to happen. We continue to look for that, that solution. 
in, in uh, short of having that, that legislative fix, then we need to go this regulatory route. Uh, we certainly needed this E15 for this summer. These are 20-day emergency waivers, so this will have to be renewed just like last summer uh, throughout the summer to make sure that, that the consumers that can find E15 are able to save 20 to 30 cents uh, per gallon when, when, when they go to fill up. And then starting in 2024, at least the eight states that have opted out of the RVP program, most of those are in the Midwest. Uh, those are going to be able to go on as usual throughout the, the 2024 summer driving season and have E15 available to them as well. So lots of different things happening here on the E15 front. The thing that would clear it all up and, and make it all seamless and frankly drive a lot of demand moving forward would be to have the regulatory certainty. And in order to have that regulatory certainty, we've got to have some legislative change. And that's what we're trying to work with with our Hill champions up there, hopefully to get it done yet this this session here in the 118th Congress. All right, we'll continue watching for updates on that Consumer and Fuel Retailer Choice Act. Troy, while we've got you on the line, we saw biofuel tax credits come under fire from House Republicans here a week or two ago in their debt ceiling bill. But then the industry got those right back in. Does that show the the power of biofuels in this new uh, new economy? Well, we certainly hope so. Uh, we did stand a chance to, at, at least from the first shot out of the barrel, uh, have the uh, House Republican leadership uh, repeal a lot of the biofuel-related uh, tax credits that we worked hard to get during the Inflation Reduction Act legislation. Um, we had seven to eight uh, Midwest Republicans stand up and say, we're not voting for that unless those repeal measures get taken back out. Um, and it was led by the uh, Republican uh, uh, caucus from Iowa. Uh, and it was joined by Representative Fishbach and Finstad in in Minnesota, and then uh, Representative Alford in Missouri. That was our gang of seven that stood up and said, "We're not voting for this unless this gets changed." So good to see that. We're we're going to need them to continue to uh, show that kind of support as we try and find that permanent solution to E15. That will be the game, folks. We've been talking with Troy Breeden, Camp Senior Vice President of Renewable Fuels Association. Troy, thanks for joining us. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk more about the cattle markets with Lance Zimmerman of Rama Research. Tune in then for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. 
U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 